So one of the interesting things we did, and I'll, I'm just filling a little time here. Uh, the Lord spoke to us a while ago, a few years ago, and um, and He said, I want you to, to take this message online, the message of the gospel, as, as you understand it, and I want you to make it relational. And that was a very foreign thought to me because my concept of church online was you've got to watch in your pajamas and mail in your tithe, you know? And so I didn't really know what that meant. Neither did we, our leaders or anything. So we, we uh, started doing it. And one of the interesting things, just to catch you guys up on this, some of you I've talked to privately, uh, when I started, uh, well, we started Joyland. Actually, Catherine was involved in, in that startup and some other folks. And uh, when we started Joyland, we ended up, being in relationship with the church that was in this property. And I ended up pastoring two churches for a little over a year, two different boards, two different churches. It was really kind of an interesting story. And then they ended up getting uh, joined together. It seemed like the Lord wanted to do that. And that went along for about three or four or five years. And when the Lord started speaking about this idea of not having everything so church-centric, but more relational with the Lord and with one another, uh, one of the things that we ended up being led to do, and it took about two and a half years to figure it out, was to sell this property. So there's, if any of you have been here in the past, like Dan was here before when we owned the whole thing and the gym and stuff. And so uh, we did, uh, the Lord made a way for that and it worked out and it was hard to do, you know, cause uh, there's questions of legacy and purpose. And, but the big thing, you just have to believe that the Lord's real and he leads you and, and you try to obey him. So we ended up moving down to Colorado Springs for a couple of years. And actually the conference that we were going to do with Dan was booked for last year and COVID blew that out of the water. And we had a, a big venue down in Colorado Springs. It was going to be a community thing and all this kind of stuff. And I sure it, would be, it you know would have been fine, except we just couldn't do it. And unfortunately, the venue went out of business because of COVID. So here we are. And in the meantime, uh, the folks we sold the property to, um, their building plans got put off partly by COVID, and they needed somebody to be in the building. And so we were down in the Springs for two years and ended up making contact with the folks we'd sold it to. And they go, we'd love to have you guys back. And they made us a super deal. So it's like cheaper to lease it now than it was to own it then. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're here. And we've got at least two more years uh, before their building plans kick in. So we're in the process of just listening to the Lord, enjoying all the work we put in. because This thing was all totally remodeled. And we walked back in it that day. And except for a little vacuuming, it was exactly like we left it. So it was pretty special. And, um, and then we went about adding the technology and hanging stuff and running wires and doing all that kind of stuff. And so uh, if I get off my notes, you'll know, because you can see them in three different locations. And partly what we do this for is those of you that are on Zoom, this is all connected into that so people can see. So anyway, we, we have come a long way. And uh, we do have a number of meetings during the week that you guys are always welcome to join on. Um, we meet our primary weekly services on Friday, Friday night at 6.30. We, we, that was another process. Um, we basically chose to do that because we wanted to minister to families that live in a busy world, uh, you know, especially ones that have like mom and dad both working. And the church, in, in my understanding, or the way it felt in my heart, the church competed with them for their time with each other and the Lord on the weekends. And we thought, well, you know, if we could do a credible job of worshiping God and honoring Him at the end of the cultural work week we have, then people could have time to go hiking and, and take care of their kids and stuff. And we never really considered it a religious thing one way or another. We're not trying to necessarily be, uh, you know, Old Testament or anything like that. Although I do, I'm learning a lot about Sabbath. 
Um, and we, we weren't really worried about not honoring on the first day of the week or whatever. We just wanted to get together, worship God. And so anybody that wants to pop in on 6.30 at night on Friday, you're welcome to do so. Uh, Joyland Life, you can go and see how you can join us. And um, like I said, we've, there's room here for, for your questions. And we're going to talk about that at the, at the Q&A. Matter of fact, Dan, I, I, I was thinking last night, you have identified a kind of question that we try to avoid, which is the question like, why me? You know, the question that's all about us. And so I was really, last night I was thinking, I go, wow, there's good questions and there's bad questions. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that during the, during the Q&A. Okay, I'm going to share with you guys a revelation that is very, very current in my life over the last few months. And, and it's, it's probably the most relevant and the best thing I can offer you, understanding that I'm not, this isn't usurping the gospel or anything like that. I mean, that is the message of Jesus, the Father sending the Son to share His life and His knowledge, the Son's life and knowledge of the Father with us. That's the greatest thing you can talk about. But this is something that's really real. And, and I also want you to know that one of my passions is in this whole era of people rethinking their Christianity, and I'm totally for that, because some of the Christianity we grew up with and we had put on us uh, makes an abysmal representation of who the Father is, and it needs to change. I'm, I'm into that. So, But something that breaks my heart as a pastor is a lot of times people will deconstruct, and the Bible will become a casualty of that, because somebody used the Bible as a club against them, and they, they don't want to keep ducking. But I beg you, do not throw away your confidence in the Scriptures. Don't throw it away. But don't allow people to keep tricking you into making this a substitute for a relationship with the person of Jesus himself. Because it is in him that it hidden all the wisdom and the treasures and the knowledge of God. And so um, you won't find anybody that loves the Bible more than me, but I work very diligently to not, not do what the children of Israel did at the Mount of, uh, base of Mount Sinai. When they saw God, they heard him, they saw the rumblings, and they got scared. And they go, uh, no. Moses, you talk to him, and we'll listen to you. If you can receive this, that's what a lot of people in our culture do with the Bible. They don't let it be a witness to Jesus. They let it be a competitor to an intimate relationship with Jesus because it's safer. I can control the pages of this book. Even though it's a living revelation, I can control it. And you can't control Jesus. And that's scary. All right. So this revelation, I hope, if, you'll, if you can receive it, is a deeply biblical reality that is grossly ignored all my life by the church. Okay? So it's Jesus' neglected call, and that call is the life-shaping necessity of becoming a child. Now, there's a million ways to talk about uh, love and the gospel. As we were listening to Catherine, she was talking about it. But didn't you sense that there was a childlike quality in her as she's contemplating? And then, Dan, when, when you talk about I mean, that's one thing everybody says, you know. They try to use ad, uh, adjectives or adverbs, but he's happy or he's this or he's that. You, you have a very childlike quality, and you, you have maintained that 
for a really long time. And it's pretty cool. So this is what we're going to talk about. And here's the question. Is it possible that we have overlooked a key revelation in Scripture that could unlock our experience in the kingdom of God? Now, let me ask you a quick show of hands. How many of you consider yourself in the charismatic, Pentecostal, third wave, whatever stream of Christianity in one form or another? Okay, me too. So I, I started at Southern Baptist. I uh, went to Bible school, actually started ministering in Assemblies of God, got involved in the vineyard in the early days with Wimburn, and, uh, and so you know, I'm in all that stuff. One of the things, and this is something that, that uh, Catherine and I had to wrestle through together a little bit in the early days even here, is the intense pressure. I love the way you led us to pray for healing last night because there was no pressure involved. The intense pressure that uh, we're going to have to prove that God's real by this healing. Or we're going to have to prove this. I mean, we had the privilege of praying for, to raise a guy from the dead one time. And, and it was magnificent. You'd think, and, and he didn't raise from the dead when we laid hands on him underneath the, the bag with his, the autopsy of his head. It was like really weird, actually. And stuff, but, but you'd think that would discourage you, but it didn't. I was like wildly encouraged because I was obeying the Lord and doing something. But I do have to say there was a shameful thing that happened in that place. And we had a little powwow because of the pressure of charismatic Christianity. And, and we were basically thinking, what's this going to do for our ministry when this guy gets up out of <laughs> Oh my God. I'm saying that by, by way of confession, and it's not a new one. I confessed it a long time ago. But, but that's the kind of crazy pressure that we can fall prey to. But, and, and, and what it'll do is it'll make you want to give up on the whole charismatic Pentecostal living spirit thing. I hope this will help us have another place to anchor our expectations in ourselves. Okay? So. I do think it is possible, and I'm going to try to share this revelation with you just briefly. Was Jesus serious? This is Matthew 18. Was Jesus serious when he said this? At that hour, the disciples approached Jesus, saying, Who then is the greater in the kingdom of heaven? And calling a child forward, he stood in the, uh, the child in their midst and said, Amen. I tell you, unless you turn back and become as children you most certainly may not enter into the kingdom of the heavens. This is uh, the scriptures I'm using on, on screen here, David Bentley Hart's thing. I just like it. He's serious about the words, and it says it a little differently, so it shakes it up. He therefore who will make himself small as this child, this one is the greater in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Okay? But look at what it says. Is Jesus serious about this? Unless you turn back and become... As children, you most certainly may not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I would propose that if there was anything in the Bible that Jesus flat out said, unless you do blank, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, you would think that we would have study courses on it, sermon series on it, Bible schools on it. Have any of you ever heard of a Bible school of becoming like a little child? Not by name. I, I really haven't. I've looked. Not. So this thing strikes me like, oh my gosh, Lord, we are not taking this seriously. Now, one of the reasons we don't take it seriously is because we say, oh, this is just a lesson Jesus was giving the disciples about their ego and about being great in the kingdom of heaven. Well, you can dismiss it and, and isolate it as that if you want, but I'm going to try to persuade you that's not the case, that this is not what Jesus was thinking about when he did this. All right, so if you, there's some other scripture that I don't have time to go into, or we'd be here till past lunch, but... 
There's another place, if you remember, that Jesus said, uh, you want to be careful. You want to receive these little ones. You don't want to cause them to stumble because they're angels are before the face of God every day. This children thing links us to the realm of the supernatural that the charismatic world has pressed us to do all the time, which I want to do. Another one says, uh, talking about children, for such are the, the, the kingdom of heaven. This, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, children. That means the stakeholders in the kingdom of heaven are children. Now, I'm going to encourage you just to let the truth of that scripture sit there. And don't try to balance it out about the fact that Paul says when he was a child, he fought like a child, and now he's given up childish things. You're not called to reconcile every single revelation in the Scripture with every other single revelation in the Scripture. Because think about it. If you do that, the most you can get out of the Scripture is what you yourself in your own mind can understand. It's a very dangerous thing to do. It's a very resistant thing to do to the Spirit. Because there are times that the Lord is going to illuminate, add a rhema component to a Scripture, and we're supposed to listen to it and obey and not judge it against every everything we ever heard anybody teach about something else that sounds like it might be similar. So I want us to look at this, and just for the sake of argument, and for the sake of our hearts, and for the sake of being able to enter into the kingdom of heaven, take seriously for a moment with me that we must become like children. All right. These are some warnings and promises attached to childness. Can't enter the kingdom. Uh, children belong, the kingdom belongs to children. They're stakeholders. Their angels are there. If you receive, I should have gone back. Let me see if it's still on there. Oop, wrong one. Try that one. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Do you know people that have a hard time actually engaging in their union with Jesus? What if they were to receive as a child? Okay. There's one other thing I want to say. Uh, again, kind of referencing in the context of our charismatic Pentecostal history and stuff. We, um, there are teachings that are true and wonderful, and they sweep through our lives. And how many of you have uh, wanted to uh, be a son for God? Yeah, you know, that generic son, not just son or daughter, but son. It's an important teaching. How about uh, we wanted to be a king or a priest? Because the Bible says so. I have. And I've tried, tried like crazy to figure out how to do that. Do you understand that no one ever in the history of all creation has ever been a son that wasn't a child? No one has ever been a king that wasn't a child. No one has ever been a priest or a prophet, or a pastor that wasn't a child. Now, it's so obvious you don't think about it, but God made us and made creation that way. And I, and I, I just had a thought, literally, when, after we talked some yesterday on the way back to the airport, I thought, my goodness, there's a category I've left out of here. Do you know that no one has ever been the Savior of the world without first being a child. There's one. And you do know this, right? You know that 
God could have created Jesus and manifest himself in a true incarnation with Jesus as a fully formed adult. He could have dropped him on the top of Mount Hermon where all the mess started with the watchers and the angels and all that stuff. And Jesus could have walked down, taken names and kicking butt. And he could have been the Savior. But that isn't how he did it. He came out in the field as a little baby who had to suckle and who pooped and had to have his bottom cleaned. He came as a child. There's a scripture in the end of my notes in Isaiah. I love it. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. There's an order there. And the government rests upon his shoulders. And of its increase, there will be no end and peace. Child, foundation of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son of His love, rests on the childhood of the incarnation, Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to tackle a concept that is that has the potential to freak you out, and I'll ask you to leave the stones that you were gracious enough not to throw at Catherine with little G God in the same pile at your feet before we get to the end of it. So we're backing up now to the first official teaching of Jesus. And that could be debated. You know, you could say, well, he taught it this or that other. But this is in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. And I don't want to throw Nicodemus under the bus. He was a good guy. Now, a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Judeans, came to him at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come as a teacher from God, for no one can produce these signs performed unless God is with him. So this is a pretty reverential approach, even though he came at night. And I know, you know, because I used to, I used to uh, be in a part of Christianity that like make fun of everybody. We made fun of Nicodemus because he was afraid to come during the day. Well, he came and nobody else did. So let's not do that, okay? Um, in reply, Jesus said to him, all right, now think for a moment before we rush ahead. What could Jesus have said to Nicodemus? He could have said anything. He could have said, wow, Nicodemus, this revelation didn't just come from you. The Father gave it. It's what he said to, to Peter when Peter said who he was. He could have said, you're right. Oh, boy, this is going to work. No, he said this. In reply, Jesus said to him, Amen, amen. I tell you, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless we think that this was purely a metaphor, Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. He knew at least the, the, the focus of what he was talking about. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? And Jesus replied, amen, amen, I tell you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what did he just say before? Unless you're born from above, you can't see the kingdom. Now you can't enter the kingdom. What did he say to the disciples? Unless you are, turn and become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. So now we have Jesus repeating a very simple declaration without qualification. And we have a whole church who gives it zero weight for a long, long time, or mostly zero. Do not be amazed. Oh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, or that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed because I have told you it is a necessity for you to be born from above. So here's the thing that's 
potentially challenging, is I want you to consider, okay? Same thing I, I, I ask about Catherine. Uh, make a deal with the Holy Spirit. If Larry's whacked, protect me. If Larry's speaking a revelation that might be truthful and help me, let it have a place to lodge in my heart while you help me process it, okay? Is it possible that we should link childness, becoming like a little child, with what the Bible teaches about being born again? Because I'm going to ask you, what is the product, the natural product of a birth? It's a child. The natural product of Western Christian thought about being born again is a doctrine. It's a metaphor for a transaction between us and God that gives us a ticket to heaven. But the real product of birth is a child. So let's just consider it and, and it'll, it really, it, 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 it's changing my life. It's changing my life. All right. So do not be amazed because I told you it is necessary for you to be born from above. Keep in mind now what th- this interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus said that unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. And unless you're born from above, born, uh, you know, you can't enter the kingdom. He told his disciples when they were asking, so who's greatest in the kingdom? He said, well, you're not even going to enter the kingdom if you don't turn and become as a little child because the kingdom belongs to children and everything about the kingdom revolves around them and their angels standing before the presence of the Lord. Could childness be even more foundational than this, than this first teaching of Jesus? And here's the question that I ask, and we're going to step back to one more very foundational scripture. Is becoming God's child the incarnation's primary gift to mankind? And I want to show you a scripture that at least raises the question and begs an answer. It might be in the affirmative. He was in the cosmos. This is John 1, 10 through 13. He was in the cosmos, and through him the cosmos came to be. And the cosmos did not recognize him. He came to those things which were his own, and they who were his own did not accept him. But as many as did accept them, to them he gave the power to become God's children. So what did the incarnation and your belief and my belief in Jesus give you? The power to become the children of God. To those having faith in his name, those born not from blood, nor from man's desire, and not just from above, but from God. So Dan, you know, like last night when you were saying that these things started accumulating, all of a sudden, wow, I'm a new man. I'm born again. Not just born again, in a random sense of born, you know, in some way. Born of God. And like what you're talking, Catelyn, that's why the new man that you were was so cool, <laughs> was so full of love, was so able to be patient, because it wasn't just a random reconfiguration of us. It wasn't just some transactional change in us. It was us being born of God. 
Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was like you would think birth would be. It produced a child, right? Okay, so I, I got a chance to share this uh, with a group of pastors, and the very first question was the most profound question I thought. I loved it. I said, uh, a guy, I was on a, a Zoom, Zoom thing with a bunch of guys and gals, and he said, so do you think there's a difference between being conceived by God and then born? Because there is a difference in the natural of being conceived, the time when you're conceived. We're all aware of that, right? I don't have to go into details. <laughs> okay. So there is a moment when, a, when a, a child is conceived, and then there's that time in the womb, and then there's a moment when the child is born. Right? So the guy asked, when do you think we were conceived by God? And it was super cool. It was like one of the greatest questions I ever had asked. And I thought about it. <clears throat> and uh, it's possible to get in all kinds of weird doctrine and thought about like uh, pre-existence of the soul and all this kind of stuff. Origin, brilliant man, got in trouble for that. Um, but if we stay within this simple uh, narrative that Jesus is talking about, about being born and being a child, we were conceived in the heart and mind of God before the foundation of the world. And that leads to an amazing truth that people will argue with you over if they live on the basis of separation theology. God is our Father. He was our Father before He was our Creator. And there's a lot of people that will fight like hell against that because they want God to be able to be our Father when we make some kind of transactional choice in prayer and salvation. But it was before the foundation of the world that He purposed that we be conformed to the image of His Son. God is your father and our father and the despicable neighbor and the ugly uncle and everybody else. He's their father in his heart, in his conception, before he created him because he created all the world to put his children in. Yeah. So you understand the deal. Now this, this could be construed as heresy by some and you know, you always run the risk of that when you speak the truth. <laughs> but, I, I, and this is why I don't want us to abandon the Scripture. That's what Jesus said. That's what, that's what the Scripture teaches. That's what the Scripture teaches, that He, uh, the preparations for the redemptive plan for us were made before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God conceived of you and I and thinks of Himself. He has never not thought of Himself is the father of humanity. He is the one, the, the, the father, by whom every family in heaven and earth, it says in Ephesians, is their name, right? All right. So, once you cross that hurdle, and you realize that from before the foundation of the world, and, and, and the motivating factor for creating us was conceiving of us as his children, then you don't take away from the necessity of the born-again experience because that's when you become, you're given the power to be 
who you were conceived to be by the Father. All right, so I feel comfortable, personally, even though I'm still working out the details on it, I feel comfortable uh, taking what Jesus says about children and the necessity to become like a child and not making it just an ego-driven uh, lesson to the disciples for one to be better than one another, but that he was consistently revealing a truth that he came to reveal about the Father. So let's see where we're going. Are we placing too little value on becoming a child? And I think the answer is yes. Tragically, too little. Because Jesus has said, unless you do this, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Now, I love what we did last night with healing because I don't think the kingdom of God is all that confusing and hard to engage. But I believe that we have difficulty doing so and seeing it really truly manifest in our life because we have skipped something essential. We have tried to be a person in it without becoming a child. And we've put pressure on one another. We've given all kinds of courses. Because there's all kinds of there's all kinds of schools and courses and stuff to be a king or a priest or a prophet or a pastor or an adult, you know, whatever. I really have looked. And I'm not saying nobody's ever got this, and I'm certainly not saying it's original revelation with me. Like you say, Dan, I found this in the Bible, but then I realized later it's there the whole time. <laughs> but I just remind you, if Jesus had said, unless you learn to stand on your head for five minutes, you will not get in the kingdom of God, gymnast instructors would be a premium. But he said, unless you are converted and become like a little child. And we make a metaphor out of it. Are we distracted from our ability to see and engage the kingdom because we have made a spiritual metaphor of being born again? I think maybe yes. I think maybe yes. And the answer is to repent of that. Change your mind about that. Wow, Lord, I'm sorry that I don't take it seriously when you say something as direct as this. And I'm sorry that, that, that I've allowed other people in, in theological systems, which I love theology, and all this, I've, I've allowed that to take something that we ought to be able to understand because it happens in our lives all the time where we conceive a child and then that child comes into the world through birth and I've turned that into a transactional metaphor for me making a religious decision and you somehow imputing to me something that gets me a ticket to heaven but doesn't affect my life or my vision in any way. Amen. Let's just give it a shot. Let's repent of that. Let's repent of that. And then, are we being robbed of the power to see and engage the kingdom by neglecting our call to childness. And, and th that reflects back on the, you know, my journey through what I love, you know, Pentecostal, charismatic, or wave stuff. We're always looking for the, the silver bullet. What's going to make it work? What's going to make the healings happen? What's going to let prophecy flow? What's going to do all this kind of stuff? How about, how about this? How about we turn, like Jesus said, and we become a child. Or how about we recognize that the very precious gift of the incarnation 
And the faith that God gives us and woos us to is so that we can receive the power to become the children he conceived us to be. Now, if I had a lot of other time, and, and, and I would, uh, we'd, we'd go into the characteristics of childlikeness, and then I'd fight like crazy to keep us from doing it in our head and saying, okay, well, I could mimic your little baby over there, or I could mimic the kids dancing up here in the front. And the way you pointed out that reality, it's right in front of our faces all the time. So there's a lot to be studied about this, and all I'm trying to do today is to present something to you that you would consider the possibility, and that you would ask the Lord. Nicodemus had to come to him in the night. You can ask him anytime. He lives in your heart. You can ask him at lunch. Is this true, Lord? Have I neglected? Have I been tricked into valuing adult, rational discipleship and skipped the essential step of turning and becoming like a child? And if so, and he goes, yeah, If so, can you help me? Yeah. I've been waiting. Here's some other areas. Uh, Receiving the Holy Spirit's witness to our identity. Catherine, what you were talking about, you know, and and Dan, what you talk about all the time. For as many as are led by God's Spirit, these are God's sons. For you did not receive again the spirit of slavery to fear, but rather received a spirit of adoption in which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself testifies along with our spirit that we are what? God's children. Once I saw this connection was everywhere. Last night, Dan, you brought up, uh, brought up the thing in, in uh, Philippians where it says, you know, that we could shine. How? As children of God. Wow. Now, didn't those children shine? They didn't have a problem. There was not layers and layers of, of a corruption that, that hid their thing. Shine as children. Here's one. How about the idea of liberating creation's frustration? You mentioned it, Catherine. Uh, the earnest expectations of creation anxiously awaits the revelation of the sons of God. Now, sons of God's there, but again, nobody ever became a son bypassing being a child. For creation was made subordinate to the pointless, not willingly, but because of one who subordinate in hope that the creation itself will also be liberated from the decay into the freedom of the glory of of God's children. How about this one? How many of you have spent any time in your life trying to become more effective at prayer? Okay? Pray in this way. And this is another one of those first things. <clears throat> Jesus, the disciple says, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, okay, pray this way. He could have said anything He could have drawn from the history of Talmudic prayer. He could have talked about liturgy that he knew was coming forth. He could have talked about parallelisms and creation. He could have talked about anything. What he did say, pray this way, our Father. Wow. Our Father. And we argue about whether you pray in the name of the Father or Jesus' name. Good grief. We missed the whole freaking point because we don't think like children. And doesn't that confirm this, this, this linkage to, to our childness and the concept of being born again? Because we've traded born again from a natural act where that which was conceived is now coming into life and having the power to become that child, because we've traded that, unfortunately, in most of our theology, we now miss the reality that unless you do that, you won't even see. So we wonder why 
the kingdom of God is so confusing to us. Because the step necessary to see it has been skipped. This is the Isaiah passage. I just love it. For unto us a child will be born, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Now, think how unlikely this is, except that it's the way God works. You know, we've got all kinds of uh, crazy pressure because of the governmental confusion and failings and so on. And government seems like such a massively adult thing. But in the kingdom of God, it came through a child. And resting on that son, on his shoulders, in his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or its peace. Now, what if... By some forceful, miraculous thing, we could take, and to just use your imagination in this, we could take everybody that's involved in the halls of government in our country or another country, and we could just like uh, snap our fingers, and they would be like these little children right here. And there might be a little chaos for a while. But, but, but would there be the manipulation and a bitterness? No. I don't think so. Because they would see we need to do things that make more candy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Instead of all the complex... And so, it, 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 all I'm saying is that this is, not, this is not utterly impractical. It's not ridiculous. And what are we to use our faith for? If not to believe that which we which we can't yet see. And I know that I'm asking us to consider doing something that's very challenging, and that is to step back from the way of thinking and the way of identifying ourselves as an adult, a priest, a king, a son, all these things, to step back from that and say, Lord, if I have inadvertently skipped a necessary step, will you help me turn? and become the child that you conceived me to be. I can't even tell you exactly how it looks. I know sometimes it makes us goofy around here. Uh, sometimes it allows us to, to uh, not seem quite as serious as we probably should be, considering the world's in the shape it's in. But I think the question is, can God be trusted with the truth? And can you trust yourself into the truth? So if you think that this is true, that's what I'm doing. I'm just commending it to you. Um, to the identity question, is childness our most basic and most important identity? And I believe it is. I think Jesus said that. I think it's the place where all the rest of our identity starts and flows from, and then there's all kinds of psychological studies and child psychology studies and stuff of what gets imprinted on us the first few years of our life until we're like eight years old or something like that. 
Now, I did something. Uh, I was out of the ministry for a number of years when the Lord called me out. And the last 10 or 12 years before I got called back in the ministry, I worked uh, as an executive uh, VP of marketing for a learning company. Then when the Lord called me back, I, I just laid all that experience down as if there was no value to being able to, you know, plug that into promoting the ministry and the gospel and stuff. And looking back on it, I realized that's the way we've, we've thought about some of this stuff. We, we don't consider that the stuff that should have been imprinted on us when we realized we were a child, or even before we realized it, but just started living like that, that that would have formed our priestly vision, our kingly vision, our sonship. And so is it possible that we can trust God to take a step back and re-engage becoming like a child? And I think so. I think so. Now, does it threaten your, your security and, confirm, and, and uh, the, the security that we have been told to, to have in being, being born again? Uh, yeah, it might. It might. But you know what? It, it's okay. If somebody says, so when were you born again? Well, I had a false birth, a couple of them. <laughs> but I just, I just think I'm born again like 20 minutes ago. Because that's the one that I'm allowing by my faith to turn me into a child. That's the first time I really engaged the gift of the incarnation, the power to become a child of God. And I tried to be an adult of God for a lot of years. And so I I think this is, I think it can be kind of huge, actually. He gave us the power to become children of God. All right, now here's an advertisement. I love this picture. I love this picture. All right, so I'm going to... I'm going to shamelessly plug something for you guys. So this whole thing, uh, when we moved down to Colorado Springs, I did a sermon series on, on childlikeness, but I, w- I wasn't equating it. I, I, the Lord hadn't walked me back into the, the, the relationship to the born-again experience. And so I was just doing like being like a child, analyzing how a child behaved and so on and so forth. It was profitable, but it, it wasn't everything. Then around the first of the year, or uh, December, I think, last year, is when this started to hit me. And I've had a couple times to talk to about people, and then I started sharing it. And so uh, I remember saying to people, you know, like I said to you, if Jesus said, you have to do this and spin around or something, we'd have schools of that. But there's no schools of childness. So uh, we, we, I just, uh, Greg and I just bought the domain name Childness 101 uh, two weeks ago. And coming up, in July, that site will be open, and it's going to be a school, online school, with video courses, material, and then Zoom dialogue about childness to try to work our way back to the power that the incarnation came to give us. Because I already believe in Jesus. It's not like that's a big thing. I believe in him. You do too. But there's this gift that comes with that that I think we have been robbed of or neglected. And so anyway, um, it's going to be a little bit of a uh, tuition-based thing so we can afford to pay for it and help people get on it. But I want to, so if if I have your permission, most of you that signed up here uh, signed up with your email, correct? So if you guys don't mind, when we start this, I'm going to send you an email saying it's available. 
and we'll give you a discount for coming to the conference. But so this is my response because I, I, I was convicted when I said that to people. And I said, you know, you'd think there'd be schools about this. So I started looking and it really isn't. And so uh, good, better, and different, we're going to give it a shot. And until that time, I would ask you guys, I would ask you guys to just think about this and ask the Lord. Because again, he's the one that we receive this from. He alone has life and immortality. He is the one. And, and uh, you know, he said to the Pharisees, you search the scripture thinking in me you find life, and they are that which testified me, but you refuse to come to me and receive life. So if I'm right about this, in any degree, that, that equals getting life by being a child. And if that opportunity to, to turn and become like a little child is still available to us, even, if, even though we've missed it for a while, then all I ask you to do is consider it and ask the Lord and see if it doesn't open up your ability to see the kingdom and to enter and engage the kingdom in ways that you've been longing for but had a hard time doing. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. So, amen. So, Father, uh, we, uh, we come before you. I, I bring these uh, precious folks before you. And I ask that if this is real, if this is true, and if we have um, neglected to embrace and be impacted by the power to become your children, and if it has hindered our ability to see your kingdom, to engage in your kingdom, I ask that you would just make space in us and cause a, a bit of a hunger in us to experience the life that is that of a child. In Jesus' name, amen.